to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total protonic reversal. Protonic reversal. Protonic reversal with Conan Neutron and Josh Davis. Broadcasting from a secret underground lair in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Gigantic middle finger to everything that is rock about music, rock and roll, and corporate power. The thing is, though, if you don't laugh, you're going to go on a killing spree with shot and nails. Confidence of a hero or fool. I wasn't exactly certain which. Could not be more professional. That's like a science thing, right? Indeed, indeed, indeed. Here we are, the uh, same same place, but a earlier time. Oh, God. Uh, one hour or so. Oh. You, your pilot will note that the on-air light has been ignited. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm discombobulated. How about you, Josh? Oh, it's so early. No, it's, it's, not, it's fine. I'm fine. It's only an hour difference. I, I mean, I guess I, guess I shouldn't be too upset, but we, we everyone has their routines. <laughs> they have their, their things that they, that they're used to. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's like a, it's like a whole scenario. So oh, now that I've got the situation locked in my head and I know what's going on. Yeah. It's a, good, good <laughs> go. even, there was even some confusion about, uh, you know, uh, w- w- within the hosts of this show as to what the <laughs> fuck was going on. <laughs> This. And uh, you know that's 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 how it rolls sometimes. That's, it's it's okay. Thing. It's okay. It didn't didn't uh, didn't ruin anything. Not not a problem. Or so. did it? I, dun dun dun. I guess I guess we'll find out. No, I didn't. It, it absolutely did not ruin anything. <laughs> <laughs> there's no chance of that. I, uh, yeah, <laughs> there's maybe a slight chance. Slight chance of ruination, actually. <laughs> yeah, 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 we love ruination. Right. I have other stuff that's not that bad. <laughs> anyway, hey, hey, don't change the dial. Yeah, they can't. It's it's an internet thing, so they wouldn't be able to do that. Well, uh, would you pull one dial off and put yeah, one exactly, off and change exactly. that pull, dial. pull all these dials. Oof. Uh, I'm pretty stoked about today, Josh. You know why? Oh, why is that? Because we're gonna talk to Darren Jackson of uh, Kid Dakota. Hell yeah, we are. Which is uh, the the especially so pretty, which is which is being uh, re-released. And I'm certain of many things. We're gonna talk about that. Yes. Uh, one of one of the things I love kind of turning on to people most, I guess, uh, when I just like, hey, check out this cool thing you may not know. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I've blown many minds with that. It's, it's a wonderful record. There's many Kid Dakota records, actually. Uh, but that one especially is a very special place in my heart. Yeah. It's always nice to be able to bring something, uh, something that means a lot to you, uh, to someone that uh, you know may feel similarly and just say, hey, check out this cool thing. And uh, and then uh, you get the rewards of just being, just spreading the good stuff out into the world. Yeah, it's kind of like this show, I guess, to a certain degree. I, I mean, I guess that's exactly what this show is. I guess so. <laughs> to a certain degree, that that and me cracking wise and yelling into microphones about things I don't like. One yeah. or the other. I'm trying to be uh, one of them uh, influencers on the internet. right? Yes, I'm going to get my 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 zeitgeist points up or whatever it is. Clout. That's what. Clout. It was. Clout. Would have been a good joke if I could have thought of that. 
It wasn't really a joke. It was more just an observation. Do you notice how people yeah. will say that something is a joke? It's like, that's, that's how's that a no joke? joke there. That's that was a... mildly clever is what that was. <laughs> and I feel like mildly clever is some people's resting state, which is which is great. That's I, sure. Those are my favorite people. Sure. But I'm like, I wouldn't say that they're like a comedian. Yeah, like, like a wacky funster. No. Yeah. Not, not, uh, not so <laughs> much. Wacky fun, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not not so much as it turns out, but just uh, mildly observational, like a like a nice uh, observational humor, nice uh, NPR Saturday afternoon kind of show. I, I think I uh, some good observational humor would be about the weather uh, here in Milwaukee, which is oh that, uh, goddamn, lots of snow. That's a, that's a whole uh, st- not lots of snow. Uh well, you know, yeah. there's, they're, they're, especially now melted this morning. Yeah. Lots of snow this morning when I had to shovel it. <laughs> Did you get more of here? It was like an inch. Eh, I it mean, blew a lot. It, blew, it, the, it was windy it was, as fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's fine. I'm, I, I actually find it kind of therapeutic. Like I'm like, oh, cool. There's a Zen activity that actually means that I get to s- skip my normal gym stuff. Oh, sure. There you go. <laughs> get some good cardio in there. Yeah. Yeah. I get to listen to, to the, my, my musics. There you get go. To listen to some podcasts. Hang sure. out. I guess I'm not really hanging out so much. <laughs> hang out, <laughs> hang outside out outside on the sidewalk. Snow shovel with my lightning kitty pajamas on and my big heavy coat. Hanging out, mm, just hanging out. You know, like you do. <laughs> <laughs> hanging the fuck out. But yeah, I uh, got. I definitely noticed the wind because I got my hair cut last night, and I go to a place that you did uh, look very dapper oh, for, for the listening audience. Uh, Josh looks very dapper. Oh, thank you. It's uh, very nice to have, have the <laughs> massive hair off my head. Mm-hmm. But uh, they, do, mm-hmm. they do they do the hot towel there. Okay. Real nice. Just, you know, hot towel opens up the pores real good, you know, and get that all done. Like, feels great. And then walk out directly into the wind, into the 15 degree (laughs) fucking wind. Hey, you know about all that? Hey, fuck that. (laughs) Oh, God. I was just like, I knew this was going to suck, but, oh, I, I, I'm pretty sure I audibly was just like open the door and the wind hit. I was just like, yeah, yeah that's 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 a bummer, dude. It's that's a serious bummer. <laughs> but you know, that's winter in Wisconsin, everybody. It it's, is uh, something to get used to if you live here or get used to hearing about if you like to listen to the show for the next few months. Yep, because it's gonna keep happening. So uh, there's your weather report. <laughs> it's it's let's, fucking cold. Let's hear some uh, tunes and then we'll we'll be back uh, with Darren Jackson. Yeah. This is a uh, smokestack by Kid Dakota. Goes a little something Ooh, like this.
Yeah, there we go. Hello, hello. hello. I think we have uh, Mr. Darren Jackson on the line here. And that was uh, Crossing Fingers by uh, Kid Dakota. So pretty soon to be available on the the coveted and timely uh, vinyl reissue. Uh, And uh, yeah, Darren, how are you doing, sir? 
I'm great. How are you? It's uh, lovely to have you on. I was uh, talking, I guess, mostly during the break uh, to my co-host Josh here about <laughs> <laughs> about how uh, how stoked I am that uh, what a monumental. I guess it's an EP. Is an EP? Well, it started off as an EP and then became an LP, right? Uh, so pretty. We're talking about. Uh, it did. G- yeah. It was initially it was a five song EP and then uh, uh, eight song LP. Right, and that was some of the stuff that you had with uh, with the the bass player from Low, uh, Zach. Right, it was um, like uh, the the other songs that were added on. Yeah, he played on. Uh, yeah, I think he played on all three of those. Yeah, and it's it's great because uh, it's one of the few things I can say legitimately, and just to, to show my age here, that I discovered from MP3 dot com, <laughs> which. For <laughs> for those of the Snapchat generation, what even is the th- what is it now? Like it's not even Snapchat anymore. It's something different now. Oh, there used to be a website called MP3.com, <laughs> and you'd listen to music there. And I guess that's the end of that story. But yep. I mean, it's 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 something that like <laughs> I would call it a success story personally. I don't dare now know if you would uh, if you would agree with that. But <laughs> it allowed me to hear your band in uh, in a manner that you know now seems commonplace. Everyone's got a band camp, and you know. Mm. You can uh, YouTube and, and Spotify's and all that, but it was kind of revolutionary at the time. Yeah, of course. Yeah, oh yeah, it was it was crazy to think that you could have your music on the internet. And it, so pretty was like really early on in the band's life too, right? I mean that that's like pretty much the <laughs> the sort of uh, <laughs> the it, it was two thousand one the 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 monkey with the the bone. <laughs> Smashing by the monolith, uh, it, it, right? I mean, it, it, am, I, am I off base here? No, that was yeah, that was. Uh, it first came out in two thousand one, two thousand two, I think, and then no, the EP came out in two thousand. Then the LP in two thousand two, I think. Okay, yeah, I was gonna say that. That's that's that seems a track, and uh, I mean, yeah. and there's been. There's been many uh, excellent records since then as well, but it definitely seems to be, from my perspective, and maybe it's because I'm constantly telling people about uh, Kit Dakota, that it's something that people find that EP specifically over and over again and kind of bring in, uh, kind of come into the Kid Dakota world because of that EP. And uh, Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, accurate, right? Would you say that's inaccurate? I mean, I guess it's a leading question, sorry, but which I'm really good at lately. <laughs> no, I think that's definitely accurate. And it's it's an interesting record because it's it, it's very raw. Uh, there, there's certainly a, a sort of Southern Gothic allegorical element to it, but it, it seems like, especially with the cover and the way that's presented, like it's sort of like there's something kind of mysterious and like, is this for real? Like, is this like a like there, there, there's just kind of like this interesting mythos with it that uh you know a lot of it is based on the fact that again with mp3.com like with just a website you didn't have much to go on necessarily and you had this cover of you know before andrew wk <laughs> right <laughs> like just this you know this you see this guy with this this blood on his face and you're like what the, what am i looking at what is that uh, was that like an accidental record cover did you have like that in mind the whole time like with the kind of themes of the record or like how did you come to have that be the iconic image that's associated with so pretty that is a really good question um <laughs> and i'm not sure i have an ac- an entirely accurate answer for that um 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I remember I had a friend of mine, uh, William Schaff, who has done lots of great artwork for uh, Jason Molina and the uh, Ockerville River and uh, various other bands, Godspeed and Black Emperor. I remember he did a cover, I think, for it initially when it was going to be a really long, sprawling, like, 20-song thing. Mm, oh. And uh, then when I ended up starting to work with much fewer tracks, uh, um, that's when the artwork for the record kind of shifted, I think. And then I, I remembered I had this picture of myself that was taken probably you know, five or six years earlier. And So Pretty was one of the songs out of that list of 20 or so that made it onto the, you know, to the EP. And so I thought, wow, wouldn't that be kind of funny if the album was called So Pretty? <laughs> and it was just like the least <laughs> pretty image picture, ever. you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And at that point, it was like, well, I can't resist. I have to do it. You know, I have to do that. <laughs> I appreciated that Alan from Low uh, in your in your reissue campaign uh, made a little video where he was in the so pretty picture uh, makeup. I guess I don't know. Like made up made up to look made himself up to look like the record cover. I thought that was a pretty cool homage. Yeah, that was amazing and totally unexpected. He sent me a text message, and he was like, uh, yeah, check check your email. I sent you a little video. I was like, oh, okay. I mean, we almost got Alan to play space I, I, trucking at the at Thundersnow, so he's a very <laughs> – he's a depth of surprise. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, yeah, Alan is, Alan's awesome. And it seems like – and Alan and, and obviously Chair Kickers put out uh, put out the So Pretty album and, uh, you know, with, with Zach playing with you, like Low kind of seemed to loom large, at least in the early days for for Kid Dakota. Uh, is that something where, uh, and knowing that, like, you guys aren't exactly, you know, too far off uh, from geographically from each other. Is that something where you kind of right. felt like you guys had like a, like, it, it, to, from, all right, let's put it this way. From where I was in Oakland, California, it seemed like you guys had a, like a scene of like rad, like weird, dark music. Uh, mm. was, would you say that's accurate, or would you would you say that is total bullshit that I'm just making up? Well, I mean, I would I would be honored to be included in a scene that had low in it. Right? Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> right. Um, but I think uh, we were in a much more humble, or not humble, but I mean, nobody knew anything about us or who we were or anything about, we hadn't put out anything. And, and, uh, the, my drummer at the time, Christopher McGuire was yep. a, a bigger low fan than I was at the time. Um, uh, which is, that's saying a lot cause I was a big low fan, but he was, uh, obsessed with low. And so one night at a show, he saw Zach Sally. And he didn't know Zach Sally really, but he just went up to Zach and said, uh, you know, I'd, I'd really appreciate it if when you went home tonight before you went to bed, you would just listen to the first 30 seconds of this record. <laughs> and wow. it, would, okay. it would be a big honor for me. Wow. And so he did. He actually listened to it. And um, 
and he really liked it. So he got in touch with us, and then you know we started uh, talking about releasing the album as you know uh, as a full length. And he joined the band for a while, and and uh, we did a couple tours with uh, Low in Europe after our second record came out. And so yeah, yeah, Low has always loomed very large in in the Kid Dakota world. And they have been really helpful on, yeah, so many occasions. It's hard to count. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and so you, you spoke earlier about originally the original kind of conceit of the band was to be many more many more tracks, like maybe like more. I don't know. Baroque's the wrong term, but you, you kind of had a more stripped down approach to this. Like I want to say, and again, this is based off of like the faulting memory of, of a now forty year old host, but. Uh, uh, like did it was like four track or something, right? Like it was like there was not a lot of tracks on on this on this record. Like it was like seriously like stripped down compared to like what the original uh, concept was. Yeah, the EP was just five five songs, right? Yeah. Um, and and I had amassed. Uh, I've been doing a lot of four track recording before. Um, I ever was able to get my act together enough to go into a studio and make some studio quality recordings, you know. Um, so I was, you know, constantly moving around the U.S. and, you know, writing songs and recording them on my four tracks. So I had, you know, probably nearly 100 songs at that point that, you know, that I thought were okay. Um, some of them, I'm sure, were better than others. But uh, my vision at that point was, you know, I'm going to, you know, they're going to be, it's going to be kind of like, early Sebado stuff, you know, like the freed mm, weed. Sure. I was going to release them like that. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't, you know, with kind of fuzzy acoustics and, and, um, a lot of hiss. When, when I decided, when I went to Minneapolis and met with my friend, Alex Awana, who was the producer for that record, um, uh, he just had a very different sort of idea about, what those songs could be. And so he introduced me to this drummer and then we record these songs and the way they ended up being, um, I, I really, I really loved it, you know, but it wasn't, it was, it was, uh, in terms of production value, it was definitely different than, it was different than, uh, sonically than what I've been doing on, on the four track, you know, yeah, and it's uh, so it's interesting that so that and that was something I was going to bring up that uh, your partnership with with Chris McGuire, especially like especially the drums being so kind of prominent, and kind of like hooky, I guess in in its way to the music. Right. I, I was wondering how you two ended up playing together. So the 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 fellow the producer guy like kind of just like introduced you guys and just was like, hey, I think you guys should be doing some stuff. Like, what's were there, were there like big yeah. sunglasses on while this was being said? Like, I mean, what what was this conversation like? <laughs> almost, it was almost like that. Um, <laughs> my friend, uh, the producer Alex Oana, and I are old friends. We went to college together, and uh, he had been living in Minneapolis for quite some time. And he <clears throat> he owned a recording studio there called uh, City Cabin, which was the former Blackberry Way. Oh yeah. oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, of course. The replacements and Soul Asylum and Oscar Doom. Yeah, <laughs> you know all, they all recorded their stuff there. You know, in Diggy Town, this yeah. this little sort of part of Minneapolis. 
But Alex bought that studio the year I graduated from college, 1994. Um, so he lived there from 94 until like, well, he lived there until about 2004. Um, but he introduced me to, and, and all that time he was, you know, working on records, doing live sound, and <clears throat> was really uh, a, a vital part of the Minneapolis music community. And so when I decided to record some of these songs, naturally I turned to him because right. he's, you know, he's a he's an amazing engineer, and he had connections with other people that he thought would be good to play with. And the first, uh, the first one of the first people that he suggested was Christopher McGuire from the Mighty Who I, I didn't know, you know, yeah. Um, but yeah, he was he was played in Twelve Rods, which was at the at that time in Minneapolis, they were a huge, huge band. And so we met at this, we met at this bar, like this wine bar. And we sat down at a table with Christopher and nobody said anything. And Alex had this envelope with a tape in it, just a, a cassette oh, tape. Mysterious. And he slowly slid it across the table <laughs> to Christopher. Holy shit. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A fucking spy mission here. <laughs> yeah. You know, he kind of looked both ways before doing it and just slowly pushed it across the table. Wow, points for presentation. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> See, if your mission, if you choose to accept it. <laughs> yes, exactly. I want you to listen to these songs when you're alone. When it's very quiet, not only on the outside, but also on the inside. Mm. So you, but so, like, uh, so obviously he said yes <laughs> and, and you guys made, yeah. made the record. And, and it, so for me coming to it from the position of a fan, I think that kid Dakota on so pretty, and so pretty, especially managed to kind of do an amazing thing to kind of evoke certain type of slint like things without necessarily sounding like slint. And, I mean that as right. a compliment because there's a lot of bands I know that definitely sound like Slint, but they sound like it's like like the Melvins or the Jesus Lizard or any you know Tom Waits like whatever. They, sure. Like a lot of bands will sound like one thing that that band does, and I thought that you evoked some of the same mystery and some of the kind of the same uh, ambiance, if you will, while still being its own unique and cool thing. I mean, right? Well, I go ahead. Sorry. I mean, I take that as a compliment, too, because I'm a big Slint fan, and Spiderland was, you know, one of my favorite records when I was, you know, in my 20s. I mean, it's still, I still think it's a great record, but, I mean, definitely we were both influenced by that record. And then, I mean, the way I think about it is that we took certain elements from that, but then our approach was a lot more sort of song-oriented and melodic. Mm, yeah, Not exactly. that they're not melodic, but, you know... There's slint is, you know, in terms of like the vocal approach, there's not, they don't sing a lot, you know? Right. More abstract. It's more like, you know, like spoken or, or more sort of monotone kind of deliver a deadpan, you know? Yeah. Which I think when bands are sort of, that's a pitfall that bands that want to be slint fall into. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I think it's hard to do Yeah, I totally agree. <clears throat> yeah, right, right, exactly. Yeah, so... That's that's a great compliment. Well, and it's and it's, it's something where it kind of rides this line that's 
you know, it's it's right between you know the kind of same territory that Will Oldham kind of is is in, and like Leonard Cohen and that stuff, but also kind of like the more like like noisier bits, but like very tactically noisy, if that if that makes sense, like. And that's something yeah, that yeah. I, I mean that's that's my that's my jam right there that's my sweet spot, <laughs> and it's it's interesting that it makes it difficult to kind of tell people about uh, necessarily because it, it means like those frames of reference like people like think like oh yeah okay cool I know what that sounds like ah no yeah you, you like really that, don't that but not that yeah it's that but not that right right. So I mean, did you find? Yeah, that I mean, if you took so if you took those songs, if you took the songs on "So Pretty" and you sort of played them acoustically, and uh, <clears throat> you know, then you'd have a much more. Then it would be like, oh yeah, it's kind of well old to me, you know. Mm-hmm. Then it would yeah. be like, oh yeah, when you listen to it, it would be like that, you know. But but since it's had such like a a visceral kind of electric presentation, you know, it's very you know, and it's really it's more it's more precise kind of than any of the Will Oldham stuff, which is definitely more like, you know, like early Dylan recordings. We're like, okay, we're getting these guys in a room together and yeah. we played these songs a couple of times and here we go, you know? Or kind of ramshackle and stripped down, yeah. Yeah, which is the beauty of that stuff, you know? But our stuff was, you know, we wanted things to be very precise and very calculated and and it's so, very yeah. Methodical. It, it, yeah. Right, exactly. That's a good word. Yeah, for sure. So then, was that in paring down from like the twenty songs or whatever you had down to these few? Was that they lended themselves to that sort of treatment, or was there a different process there? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there are some songs that were even in that group of songs that have appeared on later records. Mm, okay. Uh, that you know that are sort of, you know, maybe a little more in terms of structure and production, you know, just more straightforward, you know, not yeah. as much. They didn't lend themselves as well to, like, just a drum and guitar sort of presentation. But the songs that we picked for So Pretty were songs that definitely lent themselves to that, that uh, um, arrangement. Yeah, and it's something where especially like the space in a lot of the music kind of becomes a character in and of itself for the composition if if that if that makes sense right and yeah that's something that you don't hear that often and you really don't hear it from a young band usually <laughs> just to, to to not pull any punches there i mean it's it, it's rare <laughs> so well yeah the the knee jerk reaction is to fill everything up and and layers and layers and right right that's usually the case yep well i think one of the things that helped us i think just the fact that i was i'm i was i'm the only person that's ever been you know i've had different drummers and you know christopher was the first drummer um but i've always been the person and the only person sort of contributing you know the more harmonic ideas sure so i just ran out of ideas (laughs) whereas if you have a larger band you know like four or five guys everybody wants to get their part in you know it's like well i think we need to add a fourth guitar part here clearly (laughs) right right and and that would be an entirely different kind of band basically (laughs) 
But when you're just a duo, it's like you do a couple overdubs, and you're like, I don't know, I can't think of anything else. I think it's probably done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of see the two of you looking at each other, you're like, got anything else? No, nah, no. Nah. That's good, right? <laughs> but then, right. you know, the, but then the results, like you listen to a song like Smokestack that, that, that we played earlier, and like it's just uh, when you when you couple the like lyrical content along with just these like vast open spaces. And then, like, you know, on that song, when, like, you know, Chris comes in, it's like cannons firing when the drums come in. And, I mean, is that something that's kind of like, hey, that sounds cool, let's do that? Or is that, (laughs) was there more, like, kind of, like, thought and process behind it? Well, I mean, I had all the songs in So Pretty in terms of, like, choruses, bridges, verses. I mean, I, they're identical almost with, with the four tracks I had made earlier. Okay. Um, like if you listen to a so pretty demo or a demo of smokestack, you'd be like, Oh yeah, that's exactly the same arrangement. Um, so I mean, yeah, the big, the big addition and it was very calculated was, you know, having those drums like the cannon drums, you know, and, and we actually recorded the whole thing a couple of times because the first time I met Christopher, um, we went in recorded it. I took the recordings back to South Dakota where I was living. I was living with my parents in South Dakota at the time. Took them back to South Dakota, listened to them, and I was just like, all of this is way too busy. You know, it's too too much mm. drumming, you know? Mm. Okay. So I, I told Christopher that. I was just like, you know, think like you know, like his idol, one of his idols is uh, Todd Trainer from Shellac. Oh, yes. And I was like, just think like, what would, what would Todd play? on on these songs you know yeah. and then he was like oh okay <laughs> yeah <And> he's like <laughs> right and then he was like oh yeah of course and then it was i don't know it just clicked and all of a sudden that was the kid dakota drumming style you know i mean he just sort of made it based on sort of that because i think when he initially recorded with me he was kind of like i don't have any idea what this guy's about you know, I've I met him. Now we're making these recordings. I've listened to the songs a few times, but then after we'd had a few months apart and we got to know each other a little better, and he listened to my songs some more. He, you know, he's just a really sensitive uh, m- musician. You know, he's not he's not your typical drummer. Where it's like, you know, I want to do four four. And I want to do fills all the time, you know. Mm-hmm, he has yeah. a, a lot of strength, you know, in terms of the way he plays. So, um, after that guidance and after his his own process, his self discovery, it was just it just really naturally fell into place. Well, and sometimes I think that there's a kind of special alchemy that happens when you have you know whatever like a a, a songwriter or a guitarist whatnot. Uh, playing with with a drummer and everyone's just so like th- th- you, you hit on like you're actively engaged in a certain way and you're playing together that like that's like when this like really incredible thing that happens and, and a lot of times with a lot of bands there'll be like a bass player included or keyboard player or whatever but i think and maybe we're just talking about the concept of minimalism here right you know not breaking new ground necessarily <laughs> but it's something that draws the attention of the listener especially I actually think more so now, even than then, where we have these like maximal types of production with these like brick walled mastering mm-hmm. and you know just 
everything going all the time. Everything is awesome. <laughs> you know, like it's kind of it's kind of neat to just like be like, oh wow, like there's just wide open expanses <laughs> in in this and like in this yeah. song. <laughs> right. I, I mean, is that something that yeah, it, do you think that's born off of like you know where you, the, your surroundings? Like, is that something that like w- was that just like an overarching kind of like, hey, this is how this is gonna go? I mean, it sounded like there was originally you know, stuff that appeared on some of the later records involved with that. Like, how did that kind of come to, to be the thing? I mean, I'd always really appreciated a really simple kind of, you know, like I was, I'm a minimalist, you know, I like, I like uh, Philip Glass and, and Steve Reich. And I, I was obsessed with those composers in college. And I was, I've always just been excited by when, writing songs, just writing really simple, but also really unique songs, you know? Um, so I, I, I don't know. I place a lot of importance on just getting the melody and the guitar part just right, you know, just a certain way. And then, then you don't need a lot else. And actually, I mean, I, I've fallen into this trap myself, you know, where it's like, taking a song and pushing it too far, you know, or, you know, it's just like, no, it was actually cooler before you put all that stuff on there. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> it was actually, it seemed more authentic, you know, and it seemed like it wasn't trying too hard, you know? The, the, um, the phrase I like is when, especially down, when you, it out. Yeah. But go ahead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> especially when you have home studios now too. And it's like, you have, you know, I have a studio and with keyboards and guitars and amps and, you know, infinite numbers of tracks. And it's, you know, I remember when I had four tracks and a plastic microphone that had the cable connected to it. You know, that's what I had for years. (laughs) Yeah. You know, if you would have told me someday you'll be able to look at music on the screen and move it around. I'd been like, come on, man. (laughs) (laughs) It's ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, maybe when I'm flying in my flying car, maybe that'll be happening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just draw the music now. Shut maybe up. Maybe when yeah, I don't right, whatever, drink dude. coffee anymore. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe I'll keep a phone in my pocket, too. What? Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but seriously, I mean, it's something where uh, I think that, well, and what's interesting now is there's this sort of like cult of the idea of especially like the one artist who like goes to the cabin to like make the album oh, and like bear his, which is just like makes me want to goddamn vomit now <laughs> at this point, which is well, hilarious. It's, it's more about the like story, that. you know, it's, it's yeah. like, it's more about the story than about the album itself. Right. Yeah, Cause the music blows. It's all part of the marketing machinery, you know? Yeah. It's so much easier to sell the st- story like that than just like, this is good music. Yeah, Buy check it. it out. Yeah. <laughs> Right, exactly. I mean, it's it's like, you know, it's like when you go to, uh, I don't know, you know the brand of shoes, CVs? You know that brand of shoes? Uh, They're kind of like chucks, fancy chucks. Okay. okay. Anyway, you go, to this, you go to this website, right? And it's like, they make the shoes look like, you know, so amazing. Just by the way, they photograph them with old, like, 
you know, canoes, you know, in the background, you know, and like, <laughs> you know, like, you know, like a ping pong paddle, you know, sitting there on an old transistor radio, you know, it's just like, that's all bullshit, you know, but it's still, it sells it. It makes it seem like authentic. And I think that, you know, that's what stories are today. And, in in I mean, stories have always been important in, with bands making albums, but sure. now they almost like, if you don't have a good story, your album isn't going to go anywhere, right. you know? Yeah, it just gets lost in the an noise. E- an easily understandable right. story, too. That's an important distinction. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. Like, if I go to the cabin in the woods, people are, are going to love this record. but if i go to the studio in minneapolis they won't like it so much yeah Yeah, that'd be so boring who could possibly care about an album that was made like that (laughs) so stupid i mean on that same token like i'm i'm you know i i was i was originally born in in the town of modesto california uh, which is was basically famous for nothing except for George Lucas and in American, you know, the American Graffiti's base there. And George Lucas went to the same high school as I did much earlier. And when Granddaddy became popular in the UK, especially, people began to fetishize Modesto. And I was like, no, Modesto's terrible. Like, there's there's nothing good about it. You're fetishizing like like that song about drinking beer out in the country. Yeah, that's just what people do. That's just not like that's not that's not an affectation or like something to like. You build your life towards. <laughs> You're right. And that was something that, like, that's that was... when you start. Go ahead, sorry. That's when you start offering the granddaddy tours right. of Modesto <laughs> for $189. Yes. I will take oh. you out into the country and we'll drink beer with you from yeah. cans. Oh, $189. God, where, where were you when I was younger? <laughs> Jesus, this is, <laughs> I could have I I financed my first record that way. <laughs> Offering the authentic Modesto experience. Well, and it's just like that's part, what, that, that wasn't what they were pushing, but that became part of their story because people kind of imbued that into them because like they were just like, we're just doing this music that, you know, it's like we really like, you know, pavement and ELO and stuff and like this is just what we do. And then people, in, in the absence of there being... Uh, like any sort of real marketing of what it is, people kind of decided to ascribe this other quality to it. And that's kind of what, I mean, the best example, I guess, is Fugazi, right? Where there's just no image at all. And all you have to, and the idea is you have to listen to the music and kind of uh, get some, uh, form some opinion based on the music. But then what ended up happening is that like the politics and policy uh, kind of ended up taking over uh, for for Fugazi specifically, right, yeah. and and that's something that again harkening back to not to like totally obsess on it, but I feel like since there's a reissue of that coming up, available on Pledge Music, by the way, uh, you can still get in on that uh, at the time time of this airing, and by the time the podcast gets up, uh, PledgeMusic.com projects so pretty is the uh, place to get the uh, get the reissue, the vinyl awesome vinyl reissue of uh so pretty and, it's gonna uh, be awesome yeah I, i'm 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 freaking psyched man like not to like break journalistic integrity but i'm freaking psyched <laughs> 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 and uh so like with that uh where was i going with that i before i did push started like selling image. i don't remember the image oh yeah yeah so like <laughs> the whole thing with uh getting back to like just like the like it being mp3.com and this is a picture of this dude with a bloody face and like here's the music like, and like, what? Like, what is what is going on? Like, is this dude like an actual murderer? Like, 
because you listen to like a song like the title track and you're like oh, that's some dark stuff man that's like, <laughs> it's like some seriously like I would hope coming from an allegorical place, but then like people kind of assume that like anytime there's any kind of like dark materials or something that like it's autobiographical for some reason. And that's, you know, that's something that in the absence of an image, people fill in the blanks with whatever they want, I guess is what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. Did you find that that was the the case with a young kid, Dakota, that people were like, were people like scared to talk to you because you're going to murder them or something? No, I mean, I think mainly people just, like, cued in on, like, the drug references, you yeah, know? Yeah. Like, how tiresome. Because that's an easy story, right? Yeah. You talk about, uh, you know, troubled past, uh, you know, wayward kid makes good, you know, here's his album about his uh, tortured youth, <laughs> you know? I mean, but it's... But it's weird because I'm still writing those same albums now. <laughs> you know, what I'm... it just it just manifests differently. Yeah, I mean, yeah, right, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was yeah. There was, I mean, I don't think anybody really thought I was violent or like thought that I was a protagonist in Coal Miner or something like that. You know, but I mean, I didn't make any bones about the fact that. You know, or I I was very open about my drug use, so I I remember talking a lot about that. You know, well, and it's, it's back like, in the day, yeah, back in the day, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's something where it, it's, it, and for me, I, I guess I just I, I said tiresome earlier, and to me, it's tiresome because a lot of people seem to equate drug usage with creativity, to which those are like two entirely parallel things that. The, the the one doesn't necessarily uh, influence the other, other than you know the <laughs> the ability of of the of the user to actually be able to uh, create. Uh, but right, I, yeah. I say that as someone who's basically you know r- relatively like uh, you know clean living motherfucker. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe that's easy for me to say. <laughs> well, of course, drugs are a double edged sword, right? Because they can. Uh... I mean, I think, I think if you are on, you know, if you're using drugs, you're probably going to end up seeing the world a little differently than you ordinarily do. I mean, that's why people take drugs. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. You know? And yeah. <laughs> uh, so you might, you might actually create something that you wouldn't create otherwise, right? So there can be that that plus to it. Right. But then that. there's also the downside that if you become, you know dependent upon that for inspiration or influence or, or I mean inspiration or just living at all, you know, then, then you're not going to make anything right. And right. your life is just consumed by, you know, trying to feel that little sense of something that you felt the first few times you did drugs. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and you're not going to be writing anything. Right. Exactly. You're going to spend all your time dealing with that and trying to, uh, yeah. Trying to either like replicate that experience or like, you know, find the next, uh, the next one beyond it. And I don't know. Like it's right. And I think, that, I mean, I've always found that. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. You're the guest. Go ahead. <laughs> and people, these people oh, can hear me talk any, any day of the week. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I've always found that, uh, in terms of creativity, it's, you know, it's not usually within the thralls of like addiction or tragedy that you write, but it's, it's, or not that I write, but it's when I'm reflecting on those moments, you know, 
Sure. Like I wrote most of the songs on So Pretty after I got sober, you know, the first time. And, uh, you know, I, I had time to sort of reflect on what that experience was like, you know, when I was living the experience, I, <laughs> I wasn't really writing anything, you know, I was playing a lot of guitar, but I just couldn't, you know, get my shit together to produce anything. Right. 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 So, uh, yeah, I mean, tragedy is always, I think it's difficult to, to do something when you're in the midst of the tragedy, but yeah. post tragedic, post tragic euphoria, I think, you know, is a really, it can be really inspiring. <laughs> That'd be a great, yeah. that's a great album title actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> post tragic euphoria. I like that. Yeah. I like it. Well, and so so speaking of albums, there, there's a bunch of other Kid Dakota records that are not this awesome, and uh, they, we've talked about it for some time now. Uh, this this awesome first record, there's there's a bunch of different ones, and they're all really they're all really cool. Like I, I dig them, but it kind of seems like that the the the, the, the so pretty album kind of like looms large in the Kid Dakota discography, and kind of seems to connect with people in like a you know very special way, as I mentioned earlier, and it's gotta be weird to like have like you know hey you've made this like incredible connection with the with these fans and these listeners over the years and you know there's new ones every year but like hey have you heard all the rest of this stuff as well like i mean is that like an odd because <laughs> it's not like you did the one record and like you know became a farmer or something like you, there's, you know right what I mean? yeah <laughs> right so uh, yeah, I guess like, I if, if there is a question, it's it's like you know it feels like to me there's a, there's a good Kid Dakota discography and like that I feel like people should explore. But it, I mean you can't control what people do and you can't control you know what how how people react to things. Like how how do you feel about the, right. the whole kind of uh, through line of, of work that uh, that you've done in, in Kid Dakota Kid Dakota so far? Well, I don't know. I mean, um, that's a really good question. Uh, I have been for like the past seven years, I've been really pretty removed from any sort of considerations about the music scene. I mean, I haven't put out a record since 2011. Yeah, it's a little while ago. Uh, because I was, I was, I was teaching in, in rural South Dakota. I was teaching music for three years and, um, I'll, I, I kept writing stuff, but just never really recorded anything. And, and then I went to graduate school for four years and I thought I would have time to write and record music while I was in graduate school, but <laughs> that was the, that was the dumbest thing I've ever thought. I was going to say good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I had like three minutes every day to write and record something. You know, I could pick up my pick and then just put it down again. And there that's you go. What I, that's your that's day. What I ended up doing. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I think a lot of people, you know, listen to The West is the Future, to After So Pretty came out. And I think that album really, ha I mean, out of all the albums that has the most sort of So Pretty feel to it. And then the next two albums that came out after that, you know, I mean, they're very different. It's a little more, more songy, a little more... Um... Definitely more songy, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's, it's strange because those songs were, a lot of those songs were written, you know, at the same time that the So Pretty songs were written, you know, 
they just didn't get picked for so pretty because of the particular direction we decided to take that record, you know? Um, had we chosen different songs, the first record would have been extremely different. I mean, it could have been, you know, more, much more Will Oldenly or Pavement-y. Yeah. I, I don't even know what would have happened if, if Christopher hadn't been, if Alex hadn't been engineering and producing and Christopher hadn't been drumming, I mean, the results could have been pretty dramatically different, I think. Sure. Uh, in terms of like what songs we ended up doing, um, you know, what the instrumentation would have been like. Because my first incarnation of Kid Dakota was me on guitar, a uh, cello player, and an accordion player. Oh, wow. That was when I was. <laughs> That's way different. I played yeah. this, some of the songs on So Pretty out in Providence. Um, I was playing with this great guy named Alec Redfern who plays in this really awesome band called The Eyesores that you should check out. Um, really awesome Providence band that's been around for a long time and just continuously putting out great records. Um, but so, you know, it was a much more like neutral milk hotel kind of vibe, you know? Right, right. It was, you know, much more lo-fi and stripped down. I mean, not, I mean, stripped down in a non-electric kind of way, you know? Right. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I guess from... I, from an outsider's perspective, it probably seems like, like, oh yeah, you know, he did these first two records, and then he, you know, he really changed what he did. Um, from my perspective, I've never, you know, I, I've, I don't think about it like that. I just think of like those, you know, my last two records as kind of presenting sort of different facets or sides of yeah. my songwriting, you know. No, and I, I can totally get down with that. And, and like I said, I mean, it's it's something that it's it's almost a sh- <laughs> it's almost a shame that that first album is so seismic in its impact that it, it, you kind of like think like, oh, this is the, just the thing that this is. And it, I think a lot of people kind of close them off to it being like, oh, but it's also this, and it's also you know, there's this other aspect to it that that kind of comes in that. That I, th- I think people miss out on the experience. But that said, the, the converse of that is that like a lot of records don't hit the, in that same way, or like get a yeah. new audience every year. You know what I mean? Like it's and, so uh, weird. Like yeah, I mean the other like it was probably six months ago that I looked on YouTube for I don't know. I was just looking at what stuff I had up there or what pe- people had posted about Kid Dakota, and I saw that someone had put up so pretty like a few years ago. And it had, you know, like 75,000 plays. And I was like, what? Yeah. What the, who's, who's watching this or listening to this album? I mean, about 2000 or so long ago. You know, (laughs) I'm joking. (laughs) (laughs) But that was really shocking for me because I hadn't paid any attention. Nobody had told me anything like, you know, I'd have, I have videos up there that, you know, don't have, you know, and videos typically typically get more plays than like a record does or something, you know? Right. But, uh, I had videos up there, you know, that only have a third of the plays that that album does. And I was like, wow, people are still like listening to this record and discovering it. And I mean, I constantly get emails and stuff about that album, you know? I don't doubt it. Not yeah. constantly. It's not like I'm fending off every day or something. <laughs> no, but I know what you mean. It, like it doesn't... What, what are you going to do, honey? What are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm, I can't do anything, baby. I got I to gotta go respond to all these damn emails. <laughs> <laughs> the 
They're just going to pile up. <laughs> no, but I mean... They're just going <laughs> to... you got to keep your inbox clean before it cleans you. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but no, but but it but it's something where you know, like it's it's easy to as the staggering mundane mediocrity of regular life can kind of encroach upon your entire soul. Like it's it, it's nice to be reminded now and again that like oh yeah wow okay there's something something that I had a hand in is like out there and like meant a whole lot to somebody even if it's like cool man I got nothing to say to you right now but that's awesome that you wrote me <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, the emails I get about that that album or messages, you know, on Facebook. I mean, most of them are like of the nature that, you know, I listened to this album when I was really depressed. I was, you know, either dealing with addiction or a breakup or something, and it really helped me to get through it. You know, yeah, which is I'm amazing. Like, yeah. Are you sure you got the right right album? <laughs> that, that album? <laughs> you know but i think it's just like it's music that commiserates you know it's Mm -hmm. like oh yeah you know like the cross like crossing fingers you know it's like yeah people have been cheated on before and other people have been and you know it's a song that i don't know people can identify with yeah well, and and speaking of crossing fingers, like which we played earlier, like as as pointed out to Josh, one of my one of my favorite parts of that song is this the completely out of nowhere, unexpected three part harmony. They're just like, <laughs> I like know. it's like there's no logical reason the song should do that at that point, and it just does, and it's it's so fucking stupid and awesome and cool. <laughs> like it's. I'm glad the- you say stupid because I would. If if that came up like now in a conversation about making an album, I'd be like, Are you, "We're never going to do that. There's no way that's going to happen." <laughs> that's what I was. Saying. You know what I think? It was just like we had just gotten Pro Tools and we had these unlimited tracks, and we were just like excited about like you know like exploring the nooks and crannies of songs or like making nooks and crannies. You know, I mean, there's such a disparity between like. Those first five songs that we did on ADAT, which yeah. were on the EP, mm. Smokestack, So Pretty, Coal Miner, Paranoff, and Summer Cold, mm-hmm. and then the other three, Crossing Fingers, Bathroom, and The Overcoat, yeah. right? Those all like have, you know, 50 or 60 tracks on it, you know? <laughs> yeah, there's like some maximal action and those, going on. You know, yeah. those other songs were capped at like 16, you know? Yeah. So it was... Uh, I mean, in terms of like, there was a technological shift that happened right there that made finishing that record in that way really something I don't know unique, I guess. But it's cool because it is something. So yeah, that, that. Yeah, especially as like you know on the album, it's it's like that's the first song, and and like I've seen people be like, oh yeah, this is cool, just be like, what the what what <laughs> what's going on right now? Like and like. I, <laughs> I love that because I love that as a listener, and I love yeah. you know that that I love that as a musician. That's something that that I, <laughs> I think it's great to be snapped out of whatever the hell it is you're doing and ha- and have to pay a little bit closer attention. And that's definitely and it's <laughs> yeah. stupid. Don't get me wrong, but it's the right kind of stupid. It's my kind of stupid, is what it is. Can I get a bumper that says that? <laughs> <laughs> You absolutely can, sir. Full quote for the next record. <laughs> That's pretty good, actually. I wasn't, yeah. wasn't trying to opine. 
and it's 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 the kind of thing where yeah, and, and like you're saying with that record that this, the themes, even though yeah, there's like a deep allegory and kind of a southern gothic kind of element to some, some parts of it, coal miner especially, and and the title track. There is at the heart of it just like this like deep, deep like kind of just down in it emotional connection that man everyone's been there you know and it's not even that you're like explicitly saying she broke my heart and I'm gonna go buy a truck you know anything like that like it's 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 kind of like more amorphous so much in the same way with an image and the lack of image people fill in the blanks I think people can kind of fill in their own right. blanks with the songs yeah I mean yeah that's I mean that's always been one of my sort of uh a conscious effort of mine in terms of writing. I mean, I think the, the best writing doesn't tell you everything, right? It leaves something, it leaves the right things out, right? To make it, uh, you know, more engaging, you know, to make it something that you'll want to come back to, mm-hmm. you know, and listen to again. It's, you know, it's like, I mean, because if you tell the whole story just, you know, and there's nothing left to the imagination or if there's no part for the listener to play in it, it's it's going to it's going to wear thin pretty quickly. Mm, interesting. All right. Yeah, that's then. Yeah. And and it's it's cool to see that, you know, especially like me, I, I came into it like basically when it came around, but I've I've played it for. Well, I mean, I, they're friends, but I call them kids because I tend to hang out with people way younger than me. Um, topical Roy Moore joke here, I guess. No. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but like to find them engaging with it in that same sort of way, in, in, like when I when I first heard it, and like have you like, oh no, there's still like a universality uh, to like the connection to, to to this music, and it still it still holds up. I guess I guess is what I'm, what I'm driving at. Yeah, and. Yeah. Again, hearkening back to the fact that like the whole discography is good, but like, like you just have you just ever gotten sick of just like, guys? There's other records. <laughs> you want to talk about one of those, maybe? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess no, no, I haven't. I mean, uh, if you want to talk about my new record, I could tell you some things about that. Yeah, p- by all means, man. <laughs> well, it's called Denervation. Okay. Um, and I think it has like a real kind of so pretty kind of vibe to it. Okay. Um, it's very sonically. It's a lot like uh, it's it's really stripped down. A lot of drums and guitar. Uh, um, you know, but very sparse. Um, and it's a much more thematic record. Um, cause all of like the, the two records before that, listen to the crows as they take flight and a winter shadow. I mean, those albums consist of songs that were not written for like, Oh, let's make a, I'm going to make a record now and I'm going to start writing the songs and here they are. And now I'm going to make an album. Most of those songs were like called from years and years of like, you know, just songwriting. And they come from very different places. And there's no theme that really ties them together. Um, 
so this album is, you know, I think it's it's different in that respect because it's really all about this uh, horrific bike accident that I was in. I mean, it, that's not the only thing it's about, but it's just, it's more about loss, you know, because when I was in this accident, um, I experienced denervation. Uh, I broke my pelvis, um, had to have a couple surgeries, um, got a lot of hardware put in, but then I, in the, in the crash, I, there was so much blunt force trauma that, uh, I really did some damage to uh, a bunch of nerves and denervation is when the nerves can't like carry signal anymore to the muscles and then the muscles end up dying. Oh man. Um, so yeah, that was, (laughs) so for like three months I couldn't use my thigh muscle on my right leg Wow. and it just kept, you know, getting smaller and smaller and the doctors didn't know if, you know, if it would ever heal, if my nerves would heal, if I'd be able to walk without a brace. Um, so I mean, this was like, it was by far the most traumatic thing that was, had ever happened to me. Right. I was in, I was in the hospital for two weeks. I was in, you know, bed, literally in a bed for three months. And all that time, I didn't know if I would be able to walk without a brace, you know? God damn. Yeah. And just excruciating pain. I mean, I had endless painkillers and they just, they didn't do anything because it was nerve pain. And I mean, they left me, you know, pretty, <laughs> pretty out of it but it didn't address the pain i couldn't sleep i didn't sleep at all for like months it was just it was ridiculous because it was nerve pain is just i don't know if you've ever experienced it but it's it's a real different kind of electrical kind of horrifying pain Mm. you know it's like constantly being shocked or on fire like all day long yeah and uh and so, yeah, I mean, the album is about, you know, that was sort of the inspiration for writing a whole batch of songs that were all kind of, uh, you know, come from the same place. Sure. So, so I think I'm really, I'm super excited about it and I'm glad to, I'm glad to be done with it. <laughs> and then... <laughs> Well, I was when I was recording the album. Um, I, I was doing it at uh, Pachyderm, which is uh, yeah. you know, a fabled studio in Minnesota here, where Nirvana made In Utero, for example. And and my one of my dearest friends, John Cooker, owned that studio and had recently bought it and renovated it. And you know, we were, I mean, really good friends for years and years and years. And he actually had. I actually recorded, we, when we did uh, The West is the Future, we recorded it yeah. at his studio, CD Underbelly. And, you know, he was always just loaning me gear and, you know, helping me out. And, and um, we kept in close uh, contact after I had my accident. And then when I had written these songs, he's like, well, why don't you come and record them at Pachyderm? And I was like, well, that, yeah, that sounds awesome. I would love to come record them. So I went there did the session, uh, John, I remember him talking about it afterwards, the night after we did it, like he said, it was the, just the thing that he was most proud of that he had ever done musically was producing, producing that session. 
Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, it was totally amazing. Um, and then uh, we were going to finish that album out in his uh, studio, studio in L.A. in the spring. And then he died of a heart attack um, ah. in February. Ah. And, uh, I mean, it really just, like, it was... Um, I mean, it just totally took the wind out of my sails, you know? It was, yeah, I bet, man. I just couldn't even, I couldn't even listen to that music, you know, anymore without just thinking about him and, you know, it was the last album that he ever worked on, you know? And it was just really, it was really hard to, uh, to, to finish it, um, for, for that reason. Um, and he's only just moving back here to Minneapolis recently. Um, that uh, you know, I touched base with a lot of my friends that I'd worked with on albums before, and and uh, just being in the, involved in the Minneapolis music community again, you know, it, it felt really. Um, it gave me the fortitude to like finish it, you know. Well, and that's, so that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, like you know, it's it's good that it didn't just like sit for forever, you know, un uncompleted or you know, unable to be completed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it also cleared the way for the next record that I'm working on, which is by far the the record that I'm most excited about that I'm ever going to make. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's some lead up. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I'm just. I, it's been in the works for 10 years, this album, and I've had songs set aside and hmm. I've been crafting other songs and like, and now all the pieces are finally in place. And so that's, the goal is to release that album at the end of 2018. Wow. All right. Nice. Well, and that's something so, that you, you've okay. mentioned before and you mentioned like with the first record and too, like the kind of like, holding back songs because he didn't feel like it was appropriate for the record or whatever, this and that, like, you know, absolutely. It, it, it's, it's gotta be something where, especially when it's a song, a song you really like, you're just like, Oh God, I want people to hear this and it to be the thing. Like, <laughs> like there, it requires a certain degree of restraint to be able to do that. I mean, do you ever feel like that's something that, uh, you know, like, it, it, I guess it's kind of nice to feel like you got one over on the world. And the, <laughs> in a way, right? But it's got to be difficult. That is interesting to think about because I remember when I used to have a four track and I'd write a song and it was all I could do to not send it to certain friends like right away. You know, I'd like right. make a dub tape of it, get it in the mail and like overnight it, night it to friends, you know, <laughs> just a little four track tape or I'd call them on the, you know, call them on the phone and like, hey, check out this song. And I remember so many times calling up my friend Will and like holding the phone up to the speaker so you could hear it. You know? <laughs> and now it's like, I have, okay, I have this song called the age of roaches, which has been a staple of kid Dakota sets for, you know, 10 years, you know, mm. I mean, uh, easily one of the best songs I've ever written. And it's always been going to be on this one record. Oh, wow. It was sort of the song that started this record. Um, and uh, it's sort of a thematic kind of record, kind of like uh, The West is the Future is. So, and, you know, there's only certain songs that are right for it and others, yeah. you know. Okay. 
That's yeah. That's and was, it has a very West is the future kind of kind of vibe to it. You know, so this denervation record is you know not unlike so pretty in a lot of ways. And this this uh, age of roaches record is you know not unlike the West is the future. That's sort of the way I've been thinking about it in my head. Mm. So and it's almost. Like the whole saying of uh, you know the past, the past doesn't repeat, but sometimes it rhymes, in that same sort of way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But so you, yeah. you, you, you knew, you, this, you knew before that this was going to be a particular project, or it was just like this. This feels like it's a separate thing from what I'm doing, or like how much planning went into this, apart from just the feeling that this was the right song for that particular thing. I mean. Uh... I don't know. I think over the years, a lot of planning has gone into it. It's sort of about, uh, it's about the, the cold war, you know, very loosely about the, about the cold war. Okay. Um, and some of the themes that run through it are missiles and missile silos and silos on the prairie and, and weeds (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, it has this very particular feel to it that once you, I'm sure like once you hear this record, you'll be like, Oh yeah, only these songs could have been on this record. You know, that's the way I feel about it. I, I know when I've written a song that's going to be on this record. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. Which is really, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I almost, I sort of like pushed through denervation I mean, one of the main motivating factors was just so that I could start working on this other record too. Sure. So, um, that, so that's and the in, fact that I hadn't released anything for six years. Yeah, and it also has <laughs> been a while too. So, so I was gonna say, so is that something that you feel like you have consistent challenges on, as far as like finishing, just finishing things and seeing me like, all right, that's it, that's done, like let's move on, or do you think it's always kind of like a like a sequentially, uh, you know, characteristic of, of the, uh, of the, of the time and events that, that are happening, uh, problem. Uh, um, record. well, I mean, initially, I mean, there's been different challenges at different times. Like, uh, after the West of the future came out, I thought that was like really, I personally thought that was a really great record. And I thought like, I thought after the excitement around so pretty that that record that people would really that that record would really like catch on you know it would, it would sort of uh, push Kid Dakota into a different you know sort of level of listenership you know like we we would reach a much wider audience with that level I had I had no doubt that that would happen with that record and then it didn't happen you know and i was just like it was in a way it was really devastating for me you know i was just like oh my god you know i was just like i don't know if i can write anything that's any better than that you know yeah and for years it was it took me years to get over that sort of because i was just like i just you know i just took all my best songs that i had written and put them on this one album and it didn't do what I thought it would do. Right. And I was, you know, a lot younger and I was, I was sort of, I think more attached to like how people saw me, you know? Right. Or, yeah. And so it was, it was hard for me to deal with that, you know? Um, 
so I didn't write, I didn't put out another album for like four years after that. Um, and then, uh, then I got divorced and started using drugs again, and my life sort of fell apart. And I moved to South Dakota. Um, and that's when Listen to the Crows came out. Um, and then after that, I, I, I really decided, like, I want to go back to school. I want to get my PhD. My goal in life was always to be a professor in philosophy. That's, I just sort of happened to end up doing music almost by accident. Mm. Um, uh, so then I, you know, I was like, I'm getting, you know, I'm, I'm in my thirties, you know, how much longer can I like play rock and roll? You know? Um, and I was, I just started, you know, thinking about the future a lot more, you know? And so I, I, I just sort of put it all on hold. I kept writing stuff, stuff that I thought was really good, you know? And, and just, but just didn't have the time to, to, to work on it because, um, of school commitments. Um, but then like after, after John died and, uh, after I broke my pelvis, then I really started writing again in a way that I hadn't written for a long time. And, and, and I started really enjoying it again after being away from music and the whole business for a while because I had owned a studio in Minneapolis during all of like the two thousands and I produced, you know, 50 or 60 or 70 albums there. And I was just, I was just so burnt out. You know, I was just, I was just really burnt out on music and the scene and like making Facebook events and like (laughs) liking things and, (laughs) you know, yeah. Yeah, like, Oh my God. I know. Yeah. I know that feel. (laughs) Oh Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, it just was, it was so not fun. And I just thought like, I thought like, oh my God, this is all, this is my future. That all I'm going to be able to do is make, make records that I'm not really all that invested in. I mean, that wasn't the case always, but you know, it still was a job, you know? Right. And, and I just decided to basically quit. So I just like quit for like five or six years and didn't really do anything. Uh, except I made a soundtrack for a movie, but that's a totally different story. Um, but, um, yeah, I think, uh, and now it's like, I've had, I have, I know I have a year off where I'm not doing any schoolwork and I've decided like, you know what, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna work on anything else. I'm just going to work on my own music. Um, I'm not going to take any jobs. I'm just going to really like focus on, you know, getting some stuff done that should have been done a long time ago because life is short and records don't make themselves. Yeah. Unfinished business. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, yeah, man, (laughs) I get it. (laughs) That's, that's, uh, and I found that to be the case with with a lot of people, especially folks that are very closely tied to music, whether they're like you know recording engineers or um, or, or mastering engineers even or, or whatever. That it almost kind of just the 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 tedium of even though you're involved in something creative, just the the tedium of it being such a regular thing can kind of almost burn you out on 
even the concept of it is, is a uh, oh yeah this is awesome you know yeah. that 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 moment no, yeah, where you're like totally we invented understand. this thing called music it's called, it sounds like this <laughs> right yeah you totally get just so fried you know if you're and then you lose anything anything that you loved about it just dies you know i don't know taking a break just for a long time and i mean it's been really I mean, it's been so helpful just in terms of refocusing and, you know, making me excited to go downstairs in the basement and (laughs) fire up the amps and the pedals and the keyboards. I mean, it sounds like it. Like, I mean, I I heard the, you know, the denervation single when it uh, came out, I couldn't remember the name of it for forever for some stupid reason, but I got a weird mental block against like some words that if I'm not familiar with them, which is odd because I'm needlessly loquacious (laughs) in the rest of my life, but um, but yeah, I definitely had like it, it's not that it sounded like that much like out of character or anything. It just sounded like there was sort of like an intensity to it that um, was like a little different than uh, some of the previous stuff. And you know, it's just great. Like, hey, here's something new from Kitakota. Neat. That's cool. But also, just it definitely had a coming for blood sort of vibe, <laughs> so right. to speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's a constant challenge as you get older. You know, it's like just to maintain that passionness, you know, and that, that, that love of something, you know, cause it's, I don't know. So what do you find? Like there, are there any kind of like exercises or any, any rituals you have to kind of, I don't know, maintain that, <laughs> that, that never ending story style globe of what makes music <laughs> special? <laughs> well, I mean, I think the thing that's been doing it for me recently is just, only working on my own stuff, you know, um, and realizing that, you know, it's, it's more important for me to finish my album. Even if I have to like, you know, uh, I'm going to have to sell a few guitar amps. Okay. I'm going to get rid of a few guitar amps so I can have this luxury to work on, you know, some albums, you know, but it's definitely worth it. You know, it's like, I don't know. I just acquired so much shit, like so much, so many guitars and amps and recording gear and pedals and keyboards. I was just, I would just buy and buy and buy stuff, you know, because I was just, I really liked having tons of gear, you know, but then when you keep buying stuff, then you got to keep working. Right. Right. (laughs) You just got to, you know, and then, then I decided like what, what I've discovered is that if I don't buy anything, then I don't have to work on things that I don't want to work on nearly as much. <laughs> so, I mean, it's pretty simple, but it took me like 10 years to figure out. <laughs> yeah, it turns out it's a pretty simple equation. <laughs> yeah, just breaking, breaking that habit. Yeah. You know, that's got to... Yeah. <laughs> right. And it's ironic because the way that I end up making the most money is by my own music anyway, you know? Right. I mean, in the, in the long run, you know, it's like that's a, a you know... In, in, a long-standing form of revenue, right? Whereas, you know, you make an, uh, an album for somebody, you know, then that's, that's, that's gone, you know? Right, it's, right. It's right. just, I don't know. For me, it's just become really more important to, like, work on my own stuff for my happiness and, you know, and... It's never in yeah, battle. ...well-being. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Well, tell us about uh, when you... No, sorry, go ahead. 
oh, but then you have all these new like pedal manufacturers who are making it so hard on everybody. <laughs> it's like every other day some pedal comes out. And I'm just like, oh. wow, that'd be really cool to have that pedal. So cool. I probably need that one too. Oh god. No, I'm like, I only have like six. I only have six fuzz pedals. I probably need this <laughs> other one. You know, I don't know. Right. This, well, and we were yeah. talking. We were talking last last week with uh, Hank Donovan of the band Magpies, who was a complete and total gearhead. And like, yeah, I, I definitely like. I swear to you, today I saw a, a friend of mine on Instagram just like post like a case for a pedal that he's building. And I'm like, oh, I want that. That looks awesome. <laughs> And it was something like I don't even know what the fuck it does, and like I'm not even like a pedal collector. Like I'm, I actually have a strict one in one out rule, and everything I have is like there for a specific reason. But I couldn't help myself from just being like, "Oh, that looks rad!" Like what the fuck? Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's become. I mean, the pedal world has become like the. I mean, the people who made pedals must have one day just looked at, like, the craft beer makers and yeah. been like, yeah. well, let's start doing what they do. Yeah, and that's what's happening. Like, it's 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 fantastic, but it's goddamn dangerous uh, is what it is. It is. It is. Yeah. Uh, so, so what I was going to say is uh, the soundtrack. You mentioned the, the soundtrack you did, which I actually had forgotten all about because it, I mean, first of all, it was a while ago and I do a lot of stuff. But uh, that's something I always find interesting. As someone that, uh, you know, speaking personally, like, I come from like a like a slight bit. It's years ago, so nobody remembers, including myself, most of the time of a film background. I love like the melding of music and film, and so that to me is, yeah. is like, oh wow, that's fucking that's cool. That's like yes, that's awesome. So how how did that? Did you enjoy that experience? Is that something that how did it, how did it even come to pass in the first place? Well, that is a really. A really good question. Um, I was convalescing in my bed after suffering from the effects of blunt force trauma with my with my accident. Mm. And this guy sent me a Facebook message and said, "You know, you might not remember me, but maybe you do. Uh, I used I was the uh, in head of the music ahead of the the." What am I trying to say? I was in charge of music for the show Numbers and had oh, one of your songs in it. Yeah, yeah, music super, yeah. And he's like, I became a big fan, you know, um, even though we never got a chance to use any more of your music. But I just finished making my first uh, full-length film. And all the while that I was making it, I thought... You know, I really want to use Pilgrim, which is a song off of The West is a Future. Right. And a couple other tunes, you know, in specific spots. And he actually, when he filmed it, when he shot the, the, the scenes, he had the music for those scenes <laughs> Oh. playing. Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't even know about it. Oh, wow. So he, he told me about this all after it already happened because he already had, when he reached out to me, he'd already filmed the whole movie, right? Right. He'd already shot the whole thing in Colombia. Um, and then he said, but then I started thinking that, well, I, I just, I want the movie to have a real consistent vibe. So I'm only going to, I only want to use your songs. And then I thought, um, well, if I want it to be really consistent, then I should only use Kid Dakota songs and also have him write the soundtrack. 
so he presented this to me while I was, you know, <laughs> literally dying from like depression. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. 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 In yeah. a bed in South Dakota. <laughs> and I was like, is this some prank? You know? <laughs> right. Because I was like, wow, this seems amazing. And he, he told me, like, Mickey Rourke's in the movie uh, and Frida Pinto. Mm. I was like, holy shit, this is like a real movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like, hey, man, can we use your songs for this thing we shot? You know, yeah. we can't give you any money, but we got a case of beer that we can give you if you'd right. to use, like, 80 of your songs. You know? <laughs> And so, like, what kind of beer? <laughs> <laughs> it better be some of this this new micro brew craft shit because I'm not going to be drinking no Schlitz. <laughs> um, so uh, I said, "Yeah, I would love to do it." Um, uh, just give me one second here. I have to yell at one of my dogs. Oh, shit. <laughs> David, come on. Sorry. I'm like that, but um, co-workers, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, yeah, this sounds like a great opportunity. And he was like, awesome, you know. Um, let me talk to my uh, uh, investors um, and see what they think. And he talked to the investors, and they're like, you want to have um, – you want to have this guy who's never composed music for a film come in and do all the music for this film that we invested millions and millions of dollars in. And the director, Ken, was like, yeah, that's what I want. He'd be great for it. <laughs> yep. And they were yes, like, um, that is what I want. <laughs> Correct. The producers were like, well, we have several other people that we would feel a lot more comfortable doing the soundtrack you know if you want to use some of his songs that's great but you know he's never composed for film you know uh we're on a pretty tight timeline and and you know they were very skeptical so i i had to like um jump through a few hoops and uh i had to you know, compose for a few scenes. I composed for the first scene, and they're like, oh, yeah, that's cool. And I'm like, so do I, do I have the job? And they're like, uh, why don't you do this other scene? <laughs> I'm like, okay. So I, I composed the music for another scene, and they're like, okay, it's great. Um, and so finally, after months of like, uh, maybe I'll get the job, maybe I won't get the job, I, I got the job. Um, and I did the soundtrack. I worked really closely. The whole soundtrack, I worked really closely with the director, whose name is Ken Sanzel. Uh, and, I mean, it was a massive... Uh, it was an amazing experience, and it, it was an incredible learning experience. And there was, like, a huge learning curve that I had not anticipated uh, that... You know, everybody, I think everybody thinks like, oh, yeah, I'd love to write music for films. You know, I'll be like, I'll put some moody music in here. It'll work perfectly. You <laughs> yeah, know? I got this. It's fine. It'll be real easy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's what I thought. I was like, you know, people, lots of people have said, you know, like, Darren, your music would be so great in films. And I'm like, yeah, I can see that. You know, it has a spacious kind of cinematic, you know, panoramic kind of quality to it, you know. Um, so I thought, oh yeah, this will be easy. I'll just, you know, 
do the thing I do. And, <laughs> you know, and it turned out to be really, really hard. <laughs> I mean, just as it uh, turned out, it's uh, not as easy as all that. <laughs> right. I mean, there were several points where the director was like, Ah, this place just got to be more Kid Dakota. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to pull my hair out. If you say I that fucking again. am Kid Dakota, you fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, he pushed me and it made the music a lot better. I mean, I think it made me better as a musician all around. Just like, because he was really, he was not a musician himself. Um, so he couldn't like tell me what he wanted exactly, Sure. but he had very clear ideas of what he did not want. Right. And so if I, if I, and you know, he was just really honest with me and I really appreciated it. And we ended up working fabulously together and, and, uh, yeah, I think the music turned out amazing for the film and I'm really proud of it. And if anybody wants to listen to it, it's up on the Kid Dakota Bandcamp page. Which is a good time to mention. Yeah, KidDakotaBandcamp.com. <laughs> go, go listen to that. And then uh, go tell Darren he doesn't have the job. <laughs> to, to make it compose something else. Until he composes four more scenes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so while I was doing that, at the same time, I was trying to catch up on the coursework I had missed because I had broken my pelvis. I was also trying to finish my exams for my master's degree. Right. Like and I was busy. also in the process of moving back to Virginia. I mean, it was like, it was, <laughs> it was a really insane kind of, I mean, great uh, period of my life, but man, yeah. So do, do you, I would like to do, do more films, I think. Yeah. Do you, do you find yeah. that uh, it contributed to your uh, regular songwriting as well? I do, yeah. I mean, just the way that he pushed me, you know, like, like stuff that I thought was done and I was really happy with. He was like, he was, you know, he was like, nope, it's got to be more this or more that or less this or, you know. And he would sometimes I would be like, ah, I like it. He'd be like, oh, just try, and <laughs> and I would try more often than not, and it, it would turn out better, you know. Huh. And so, yeah, he was really helpful. Cool. Nice. Yeah. That's uh, that's that's definitely an awesome, albeit unexpected, soundtrack opportunity journey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the movie, the movie, surprisingly enough, is called Blunt Force Trauma. <laughs> You're kidding! Oh my god! <laughs> I'm not kidding! I'm not kidding! No! Wow! That's uh... <laughs> wow! <laughs> Holy crap. Oh, That's all amazing. Comes together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. It all comes together indeed. <laughs> oh man. All right. So uh, uh I guess the la the last thing I want to talk about, and it's uh kind of an easy one, is that like as much as, as the uh you know, for me my first experience with Kid Dakota was like MP three dot com and what feels like a hundred thousand years ago and like a completely different internet than what we have now. And maybe we'll have in the future. Uh, but <laughs> an, an amazing moment for me was just a YouTube video of uh, you and Chris rehearsing 
for like I, I guess like a like a I, I want to say it was like a wedding or something like a like a one-off kind of show kind of situation. And you guys had not played together in in years, and it was just like a your standard eleven views on YouTube <laughs> kind kind of like thing. And the fact that it was like oh this is like Kid Dakota, but like the the so pretty Kid Dakota guys playing together for, and like there was a video of it like it was like a, a video uh, a taped rehearsal like and somebody was like they have the phone or something i would presume and right yeah it was interesting to me it looked not, like it was in somebody's living room yeah 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 <laughs> and it was like it was indicative of me of the fact that like first of all i was like oh my god that's amazing and also just like when i think of like the youtube age and now like everything being like filmed and like that being part of the process and not and things not being just the uh, the work of art on its own, but also being like the process as being part of the story and stuff. Now, I thought it was just so right, right, fascinating to see like a band that like for me it was like very indicative of like a site. Here's some music, <laughs> and here's like an image with nothing else to go on. That like oh, here's this modern sort of representation of that, but it's there was this excitement to it where it's like clearly like both you guys were sort of like. All right, here we fucking go. I mean, I guess we know these 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 we know these songs, but this is feels weird and cool and kind of like you could almost sense the palpable like sort of like excitement, but kind of like this feels familiar and unfamiliar kind of thing to it. And it was it was a really interesting yeah. moment as a viewer. And I I want to know, am I just projecting way too much in on that or what? Because it like I know I talked to a lot of other people like, look, is this just me or is this like cool and weird and like kind of a neat internet moment? And they were like, yes, it is, Conan. <laughs> well, I'm I'm not entirely sure of what uh, YouTube practice rehearsal video you're talking about, but if it's the one that I'm, I think you're talking about, it's like somebody's house or something. Um, I don't I don't even freaking know but it's got like 2,000 some odd views now it's more than 13 or whatever it was when I saw it <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think uh, I think that was when we were rehearsing for songs that'll be on uh, the age of roaches which uh, Christopher plays quite a few songs on that nice. album <laughs> yeah um, um, so yeah we had played some of those songs um, yeah we hadn't we hadn't played together in a long time Christopher so that was exciting. Um, I mean, we've played together so much that whenever we get together, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's just really natural feeling, you know? Yeah. Did you feel like it was kind of picking up like, where you left off, like almost, or is, is something where, you know, it took some acclimation? Yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah. Just picking it up. I mean, it's, it's just like, Whenever I play with him, I, I, I don't, I mean, being in a two piece, especially a two piece when you're, the, the drums play a really integral part, uh, of the, I mean, they're just really important, right? Yeah. 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 Um, and it's not like a white stripes, you two are <laughs> two piece, right? Yeah. Different where it's, you know, like kind of, uh, I mean, they're doing stuff that, yeah, it's more just like rock, straight up rock, you know. It's still unique, but the drum parts are really simple and easy. Like Kid Dakota drum parts, by and large, are pretty challenging. I mean, they're really challenging. Yeah, um, they're kind of off kilter almost. Like there's a lot of uh, elements to it that are just not, you know, it's not like as you mentioned earlier, it's not like your standard four four situation. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, there's different time signatures. There's a lot of waltzes. 
there's a lot of jazz feel kind of stuff to it. Hmm. So, um, you know, I've always, I've been fortunate to play with a bunch of good drummers, but it's always been a struggle to find drummers that are good enough to play like the stuff that Christopher originally recorded, you know? Right. Um, because he's such a good drummer. So whenever we do get together and play, um, it's always just, you know, it's like, oh yeah, this is the part that you wrote. I know right. that you can play this part, <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I know it's not, I, and I, I've had a lot of great drummers play with me that have done his parts justice, you know? But it's one thing to play somebody else's part, and it's one thing to have. It's a different thing to have that person playing their own part, you know? Actually playing it, yeah. Especially on a really, like, signature kind of song. Like, like if we think about Pilgrim on the first yeah. song on The West is the Future. I mean, that's... Very few drummers can pull that song off in a way that's even close to the way McGuire plays it, you know? Totally, and it's it's I don't know. Like I said, it was a neat internet moment, just like seeing, and like it was something. Yeah, I got the weird experience of seeing it when there was like you know, eleven other people that had <laughs> ever seen it, and it was like, wow, that's I feel like I'm being a voyeur right now. But this is really neat watching these dudes play together. Again. <laughs> I mean, also I was standing yeah, outside your window, so there is that. But <laughs> yeah, that was weird seeing my seeing my face in the in the reflection on the window pane of the video. <laughs> yeah, eh, no big deal. <laughs> I mean, I, I think, like, I think Kid Dakota came of age in a really strange time, you know? Like, when that transition from no band being on the internet to five years later, every band being on yeah. the internet, you know? Sure. It's like... That was a really weird, confusing uh, time, you know. Just like, do you remember when people used to play shows like and announce their band's web address? <laughs> yeah, check us out at Kid Dakota www.kiddakota.com. I do remember that. Check yes. us out online. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> wow. Yeah. What an anachronism. Now it's. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, check us out on Wolf. You know, we're. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what what happens up to these days. I don't want to know. It's all nonsense. I don't care anymore. <laughs> Thanks for coming to our show. By the time you leave this, we will Snapchatted you each one of you individually. Thank you very much. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like, what's 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 the next thing? God. I can't, yeah. I can't wait to be terrible at that. Music. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for coming and being part of our Instagram story. <laughs> Woof. <laughs> there may have been songs played here tonight, but no one cares. <laughs> <clears throat> oh man. So Darren, thanks so much for talking to us. I guess the last thing I got I gotta say is uh, it's a question we we tend to ask everybody is just uh, why do you do what you do? Uh I do it because I I love doing it and I I can't seem to stop. It's just uh, I don't know. I mean, I I couldn't make sense of my life if I ever quit playing and writing music. And uh, 
yeah, it's just something uh, that feels uh, unavoidable, you know. Sure. Sometimes in a in a good way, and and sometimes not. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly good, though, you know. Yeah, especially if you're. Uh, I mean, it's it's. I was just gonna, especially if you uh, have a broken pelvis. But yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it can be really frustrating if like your part of your identity is wrapped up in making music and you're not making any. You know sure. that. I think that's a feeling that not a lot of people get to experience if they're not artists or you know musicians or whatever. Yeah, man. Well, it's been so, yeah. It, it's been great having you. I'm, I'm I'm so glad you did it, and uh, it's been great talking to you. Yeah, likewise. Anytime, guys. It was really fun. And uh, you know, Kid Dakota Bandcamp dot com. I guess is there a? <laughs> do you want to announce your website from the stage, perhaps? <laughs> <laughs> Kid, yeah. Oh, check this out. Somebody like while I was like in my hospital bed, my web address expired. Oh wow! And somebody bought the domain name. Oh, somebody yeah. bought kiddakota.com. Yeah. And they put up a website that was all in Vietnamese, <laughs> where it was like me endorsing like Vietnamese products, <laughs> and like, and like, you know, it had like interviews of me translated into like, you know, Vietnamese. It was so incredibly strange. And I remember emailing, like, a bunch of people trying to figure out, like, okay, how do I get my email address back? I still don't have it. I still don't have the, the URL, you know? Wow! But somebody, <laughs> like, what benefit could anyone obtain if they are trying to sell products in a foreign uh, country <laughs> by having Kid Dakota endorse it? <laughs> like, women's hygiene products, you know? Like, I'm just imagining the Mr. Sparkle sort of image, but with your face instead. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good one. Oh man! Yeah. <laughs> oh man! Yeah. Well, now it's it's good Dakota dot band, so that's the web website. All right, uh, Darren. Thanks so much for talking to us, man. And uh, looking forward to hey, uh, thank you, Age of Roaches. And um, yeah, man, uh, keep keep on keeping on. I certainly will. You guys have a great night. All right, take care. Bye. Oh, there he goes, Darren Jackson of the Mighty Kid Dakota. Let's. Uh, we talked about Pilgrim like four times. So we're gonna we're gonna listen to it right now um, uh, before we're before we're hard out. Um, fucking cool, man. Fucking man. cool. Yeah. <laughs> All that MP3 doc.
real pretty Your dad doesn't know what you are Instead of a habit You should have a hobby Like Barbie or Bubblegum Jesse, go, Jesse, There it is. There's the the titular track. I'm not gonna say title. I'm gonna say titular. Because never pass up a title to say titular. It, it's a good it's a good opportunity to say titular hey. uh, of these <laughs> these so <laughs> pretty record. <laughs> Forty years old, huh? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know <laughs> that uh, you can uh, get on a delicious delicious vinyl. Delicious vinyl. Del- <laughs> sure. Yeah. Delicious looking vinyl. Hey. Uh, pledgemusic.com slash project slash so pretty at the time of this area. It's like 89%. Let's push it over the top, Protonic Come listeners. Come on. Come on, get that, man. Get that Protonic bump. Get that Protonic bump. <laughs> yeah, baby. That's what we're talking about. And before that, we had Pilgrim, uh, which we talked about at least, I think, seven times in the, Must have. <laughs> the course of that interview. Uh, <laughs> another fantastic tune. A uh, little, little lesser known uh, that you can also find off of uh, Kid Dakota. KidDakota.bandcamp.com. That yeah. one is on um, the West is the Future. Yeah, also, also go, a, uh, a chair kickers union joint. Uh, is that good? What? Oh, I just definitely want to go check out that soundtrack. Yeah, that yeah. Amazing. Fucking nuts, <laughs> man. That's wow. Wild, wild stuff. Great story. Great, great stories. Wild, yeah. wild, oh, wild, wild stuff. stuff. Ed. Oh man, yeah. So here we are. Uh, it's, it's been it's been another episode, episode number one hundred and seven, I believe. No, eight. eight. 
108 of Protonic Reversal. Eight. That's right. We do this every week. Yeah, sure do. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Generally speaking, I'm all, like I said, discombobulated because of the different lifetime. Yeah. Um, Thanks for tuning in early. Talk about your lifetime commute. Yeah. Um, Normally, uh, (laughs) 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Fuck, I fucked that up. No, norm. Normally it's 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central. Fuck, six, six Mountain, five Pacific. Uh, we're all discombobulated today. We're gonna recombobulate a little later. The uh, <laughs> the General Mitchell recombobulation area. And I'm now in the airport. You're recombobulated. Uh, RadioNewtron.com for the archives, which I swear to you, I swear will be up to date relatively soon. Sure. Uh, and. Every week on RadioNope.com. Yes. Where you can hear the finest tunes and I've all kinds of other tomfoolery. Other tomfoolery. That's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it shows great. All you listen to that show lately? Tomfoolery. Tomfoolery. Hey. It's, a, it's a whole Why scene. Why don't we have a friend named Tom that has a show called Tomfoolery? I do. That's a... That seems like a stone cold get to me. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) Christ. All right, Toms of the world, make your show. Walking into this opportunity here for you. Uh, Yeah, who do we got next week? Dave Catching of Earthlings, Rancho de la Luna, all that. Um, Yeah, it's going to be a blast. Oh, top 10 episode coming up soon. Yes. Listen in. I got my radio on. Can you hear me? to my top 10. I'd like to thank our sponsor. But we haven't got a sponsor. Not if you were the last man on earth. She was prepared to prove it. This one goes out to a special girl. There is no special girl!
plays the last record. The last what? Leaves the transmitter. Circles the globe in search of a listener. Can you hear me now? if there's no one there to receive. It's the end of radio. As we come to the close of our broadcast day, Can you hear? 